Turn in your Gospels now to John chapter 15, verse 11. John 15, verse 11. And this is the Word of God. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God, it stands forever. Let me start by asking a question. Do you consider yourself a joyful person? Do you consider yourself a joyful person? I'm not asking if other people consider you a joyful person. I want you to kind of look into your own heart and, and, and try to assess whether you're a joyful person. Now, I have to say right off that I'm not asking whether you are a cheerful person because those two are not the same. And uh, by the way, as I'm contrasting cheerfulness and joyfulness, that is not to say that cheerfulness is bad and joy is good. The people around you would love for you to be more cheerful. So cheerful is good. It's just not equal to joy. I remember the story of the little girl who asked her granddaddy. She said, Granddaddy, how are you feeling this morning? And he said, well, I'm, I'm feeling really, really good. And she said, well, Granddaddy, if you're, you're feeling really, really good, why don't you tell your face that you're feeling that good? Because granddaddy was kind of grumpy, you know? He's just being nice to uh, his grand. Why don't you tell your face? Everybody around you, takes it, sometimes it takes a, a child to say, hey, you need to be a little more cheerful here. Cheerful people are just that. They are cheerful. In fact, uh, the, one of the definitions of cheerful is, I looked it up, promoting good cheer, pleasant, and bright. And our experience tells us that cheerful people go a long way with us. We, we like to be around cheerful people. And uh, joyful people can be cheerful people, but not all cheerful people are truly joyful people. And so there is a distinction here. What is joy then if it's not cheerfulness? Joy is more than a positive feeling. Joy is more than a positive reaction. It is something that actually is much deeper. Joy, true joy, is nothing less than a relationship personally, a connection, living out that relationship with the one who is joy himself, who gives joy. Joy lives within us through a relationship with God. And so it is very deep and it is so profound and, and it influences our entire lives. A joyful person is a person who has a settled assurance in the unchangeable nature of God. You see, when everything's shifting and changing and all the circumstances are changing, one reason, and that's like normal life, Right? One reason some people can be joyful is that they're not dependent on the shifting circumstances. Their trust is in someone who transcends all that and his character is unalterable and he is faithful and they're counting on that. And so they're kind of reacting to the the true character of God and saying, it's going to be okay, I can be joyful. But a joyful person is not just settled in the unchangeable character of God, they are settled in the satisfaction and confidence and ex- 
expectancy that comes from knowing God by the grace of Jesus Christ. Meaning that there really is a sense of a feeling of satisfaction. There really is a confidence of knowing this God, being loved by this God, and a sense of expectancy that God's in charge of my life. He is unfolding this. Even though it's hard, it's going to be good. And so therefore, I don't have to be held hostage to these things. I can be joyful and rooted in the character of God, rooted in the relationship of grace. Joyful people know who's in charge. They know who loves them. They know who lives within them. And they know how the story's going to end. And when you know who's in charge, who loves you, who lives inside of you, and and how the story's going to end, that makes a big difference when you're able to really dwell in that and focus on that. A couple of really famous verses about joy that have to do with just how God and His how God influences us to have joy. One is Psalm four, seven, and eight. You have filled my heart with greater joy. Then when their, new, their grain and new wine abound, I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. It's a great verse because it's saying the best thing, just from an Israelite's perspective, the best thing anybody's got is the, is the celebration of the, of the grain and the new wine. I mean, you filled my heart, you God, with more joy than the best party. And, and I sleep well at night because I know you and, and, and because of you alone I dwell in, in safety or security. I know who I belong to. I know he lives in my life. I know how it's going to turn out. And then Psalm 1611, you have made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence and eternal pleasures at your right hand. You, because of you, I have joy. You give me joy. And look, I mean, we live in a very pleasure-oriented world. I think it's so cool that the second part of that verse actually says, hey, God will attend to your pleasure as well. I will give you pleasures that matter. I will, give you jo- I will fill you with joy, God is saying, in my presence because of me, and I will give you eternal pleasures at my right hand. Now, I've, I've brought this text down to one sentence that I'd like for you to write down. This is the sentence that you can talk about over lunch. And the sentence simply is this. True joy is a gift that you can grow in your ability to enjoy. Let me say that again. True joy is a gift that you can actually grow in your ability to enjoy it. I think that's really something. The first thing is this idea about true joy being a gift from God. Our text, John 15, 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you my joy. I want you to have my joy and having my joy is going to make all the difference. Joy is a gift from God that fulfills the deepest longings that human beings can have. And the reason why is because joy can only be had in a relationship with God. That there are amazing longings 
that are built into the human being under the code word of joy. You know, when God created man and he placed man in the garden and then finally he created woman and we have no clue how long Adam and Eve lived before they fell. They could have lived for years married in that garden. We don't know. The Bible's silent. You know, we tend to think, you know, she showed up and five minutes later they were out, you know, or something. That's just not the case. We don't know. But God made man put him in the garden. Genesis 3.8, if you're in my evangelism class, it's one of our memory verses. Genesis 3.8, that God walked in the cool of the day with them. Can you imagine? God, now he's obviously representing himself in a way that they can handle. God is walking with them in the cool of the day. This, this means there is a relationship with God. The one who is love himself. The one who is joy himself. The one who is pleasure himself. All that we ever need, he is giving them everything that they need through this relationship. And, and more abundantly than you and I can experience it right now in a fallen world. Now, some people think that when God made that tree in the middle of the garden and told them not to eat of it, they think that was the shiniest, most beautiful fruit in the garden. I do not believe that. I don't think that fruit was any shiny. In fact, I think there were lots of other trees in that garden with fruit a lot prettier than that. All the text says is they saw that it was good for food. And she took and ate it. Look, I think God just gave them everything they could ever want and far beyond what they could imagine because God knew what they needed before, you know, they even knew what they needed and it was just this super abounding grace and, 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 and goodness and beauty. I think they ate that fruit not because it was so shiny but because they wanted to be like God. They wanted to come out from under His authority, live their life their, their way, not His, and know good and evil. But we... We long for something because our sin has cut us off from God. Our own selfishness passed down to us. has cut us off from this relationship and expelled from Eden. No way of changing ourselves enough to be acceptable to a holy God. No way to reconcile, reconcile to to have that kind of relationship with God ever again. And since that time, there has been a human longing for what was lost in that garden. For all that God intended for human beings to have. And one of the ways that this longing is expressed in your life and mine is this longing to experience this being rejoicingly filled, to to have a kind of joy, to be fully confident, to be able to rest and have and rejoice in having and, and the abundance of it, just like in the garden. It was just astonishingly good and gracious, rejoicingly overfilling. We lost it. And that, folks, is why we desperately try to fill our own lives with substitute joys. Because we're empty. And we're made for joy, 
And so we try to fill our own lives with these, these substitute joys. But here's the thing is, is that just like we don't have the means to change our selfish hearts and no longer be selfish, we don't have the means to find true joy because it's a gift from God and it's not the result of a human pursuit. Fred Hessling uh, put it this way. He said, we will do strange things. This is great. We'll do strange things, dangerous things, spontaneous things, and exciting things to get the feeling of joy even for a short time. Joy is a big goal that is behind much of what we do. That is exactly right. There is a longing. The code word for what we lost today that we're talking about is joy. And we can't get it. And and you and I know we can't get it because we're going to be disappointed both ways. If you've lived any, any length of life, you know this, we're going to be disappointed that we, we went after it and after it to grab it and after it, and we never got it. Or maybe even worse, whatever it was that we went after and after and after to provide joy, we finally did get it, and it didn't give us anything that lasted more than 15 minutes. So we're disappointing in the not having of it, and we're disappointing in the fleeting nature of the having of it because you just can't find joy. You just can't do it. Joy is, here's a word for you, slippery. You can't grasp it. Just when you thought you got it. It, it is not there. Now, 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 please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we can't get a rush from something. I'm not saying there's not pleasure in the world. I'm not saying that we can't experience some kind of a, a rush from something But that will never stick with us. You know what a a momentary rush is? It's a momentary rush. That's what it is. Which kind of leads to the true idea that desperately trying to act out on that longing on your own is actually a, a brutal thing to do to ourselves. Because you just never will get enough. And you'll never grasp it. And whatever you think you've grasped, I mean, just like an addict. You won't say, I finally got it, and now I am just satisfied for the rest of my life. No, you have to have more. And you'll have to have more. I remember one of my uh, leaders in our church in Tuscaloosa, one of his goals in life was to buy and own a certain type of car. Now, when I would talk about this in, in, in my old church, I would actually wouldn't name him, but I'd actually name the car. And then some people came and said, now look, you're making me feel guilty about my car. It's, so I'm not going to name what kind of car it is, all right? Um, there's nothing evil about this particular type of car. But, I mean, he saved money for this car. Man, he's going to look good in this car. And this is a very durable car. And so all the reasons to have one of these cars, you know, I heard it all. And I didn't ask for any of it, by the way. And he got it. And the you doggone it, you know the most interesting thing happened? Three years later, it was a used car. And the nerve of those people to create another model that looked better than the one he bought, he wasn't even cool anymore. How many years did it take? It's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just slippery. As one writer, Eric Hoffer, famously put it, our... The search for happiness, he calls it, the search for happiness is the chief source of our unhappiness. 
Let me say that again. Our desperate search of happiness is the chief source of our unhappiness. I got news for you. Life is not in the chase. That is a lie from hell. Life is not in the chase. We hear all around, our, oh, life's in the chase. Life's in the chase. Life's not. Look, you marry somebody who thinks life's in the chase, you are stuck with something less than happy because they chased you and then they got you and they are no longer interested in it because it is not the chase anymore. No, life is in the life and it's in the relationships and it's in the true meaning it's in love. It's in these things that are, are, are better than simply the slippery attempts of empty people to grasp on to joy. Life is more meaningfully found in a more permanent joy. Let me ask you a question. Now, I'm a baby boomer. I'm 48. I'm kind of pulling up the end of that whole deal. Wish I wasn't one. Which I'd been born three years later, I could say I'm a baby buster. But let me ask you, baby members are about to retire, and there's all this stuff about people my age and a little older about to retire and health care and long term care and this care and that care. What do you what do you do when you get old and broken down and you're unable to hotly pursue? your joy anymore? I mean, what do you do? You know what I'm saying? What do you do when you just can't run after all these things in your life to fill up the emptiness of your life because you're old and broken down? Well, I'll tell you what you do. You get real depressed if that's what your life is about. And then maybe you get on alcohol or drugs or you fill your life with with petty and silly things. It's not good. I'll tell you what you do. You give up hope. I've been a pastor 25 years. I have seen this over and over and over. And the struggle with aging for so many in my generation is nothing less or nothing more than the end of the chase. Having never found and sealed off from any possibility of ever finding. Look in the mirror. We need to hear that. Where is our joy? There was a famous interview with uh, the the greatest boxer in, in all history. Does anybody know who that is? Muhammad Ali. That's right. I grew up with Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali was kind of cool. You know, I'm the greatest. I'm the prettiest. I always thought that was funny for a boxer to say he was the prettiest. But he did. You know, I'm the greatest. Nobody's like me. And he's just the smash mouth, kind of the, the father of all that trash talking that we have that everybody does. Doesn't even matter if you're good. You get, like, at least he was good and he trash talked. You can be awful and trash talk now. It's okay. But anyway, you know, he won the title three times more than anybody. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated more to, still to this day than any other sports figure ever. 
he and Howard Cosell, you remember the thrill in Manila and all this stuff? It was incredible. Well, there's a very famous interview with him after it was all said and done. His head had just gotten beat in so badly that he had all these residual effects of his boxing. I won't go into all of it. But this particular sports reporter who was very favorable to him named Gary Smith went to interview him and was permitted to come to his house. And so Gary Smith went to um, Muhammad Ali's house, and Muhammad Ali knew that he was a big fan. It was going to be a nice interview. He would be, you know, well-represented. And Gary Smith later reflects on this interview. He said that during the interview, Muhammad Ali said, I'll, I'll show you around. He said, but really, you don't want to see the house. This is a big house. So where you really want to go is out to my barn, which is which my gym. That's where I trained for these, the last of my fights. And so he took him out to this barn, um, which, was, which was out by his house. And, and he said that in the barn, on the floor, leaning against the walls, were pictures and framed newspaper articles from his prime. Just sitting out there in the barn, everywhere, these huge pictures, small pictures, newspaper articles, holding his belt up, screaming with that big face, you know, and, and everything. And I want to quote from his reflection. He says, as I looked at the pictures, I couldn't help but notice the white streaks across them, bird droppings from the pigeons who had made his gym their home. Despondently, Ali walked over to the row of pictures and one by one turned them face down. He then walked over to the the door of the barn and stared out and mumbled these words. I had the world, man, and it was nothing. And look at it all now. Let me ask you a question. From the world's perspective, he had the world, but did he really have anything of real value. It's just bird droppings on pictures now. And that's the greatest athlete probably who ever lived. God made us to long for joy. But we do not have the ability in and of ourselves to attain it. It's because the longing for joy at its root is really not a longing for joy. It's a longing for God. And this reconnection and the source of all goodness and bounty and beauty and pleasure and wonder. You know who wrote a lot about this? A lot with C.S. Lewis. In fact, his autobiography is entitled, Surprised by Joy. And so joy became this really important concept for C.S. Lewis. And I'd like to read a quote, one of his famous quotes about joy. He says, All joy emphasizes that we are but pilgrims. It always reminds us, it always beckons, it always awakens desires in us. The best havings are really greater wantings. That is profound. The the best havings, when we finally feel like we've got something, are really greater warnings. Just awaken more of the, the longing for what is real as opposed to what is not real. True joy is a gift, the gift of God in us giving us His joy. 
John 15, 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Now, the context of Jesus saying these words is John 15. We looked at this last week. Well, Jesus said this. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Live in my love. So if, you, if you've put your trust in what Christ has done on the cross to remove the sin problem between us and God, and you have a relationship with God, does God love you? Only the Father, only as much as He loves His own Son. Yes, profoundly, more than you can imagine. As the Father's loved me, so I love you. I have loved you. Live in my love. And then He said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. You know, you can't survive without the vine. You just wither and die. I provide everything that you need. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me or lives in me, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, spiritually, you can do nothing. All that to say this. Our hearts find their true fulfillment and their true home in Jesus. Because we are reconciled, reconciled. Salvation is not just something you get. It is the reconnection of something we lost that has created the most wonderful and awful longings in the human soul for joy. It is the reconciliation of a relationship. It is the reestablishment of the possibility of joy. So the first thing is joy, true joy is a gift. But if you look, if you wrote this sentence down, you'll find one more part to it. True joy is a gift that we can grow in our capacity to enjoy. Now, look, I'm I'm all about this. You know, I'm not all about just running out of gas and being depressed and having nothing to live for when I'm old and just sitting in front of a TV. The idea that we can actually grow in our understanding and experience of the joy of God is a very attractive idea for me. I don't know if it is to you. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may complete, may be complete. Notice there's nothing incomplete about the joy Jesus gives. The, the joy he gives is complete. The problem's not the joy. The problem is our ability to grasp it all. It's like a Himalayan mountain range that we'll spend the rest of our lives exploring. You know, you'll not get loved any more than the moment you put your trust in Christ. It's, it's total and complete. And you'll not get any more joy given to you than the moment you first believed. It is complete, but you don't have the capacity to understand all what that is yet. You don't have the capacity to to kind of experience that and harness that and live and dwell in that that joy. And and that's what the Christian life is going to do. We're going to see more and more what the joy of the Lord is. And we're going to gain so much more insight and experience of it. Notice he says, my joy I give to you, right? Then there's a pronoun change. So that your joy can be complete. I give it all to you so that you can, can grow into a completeness. Leave it to the old timers to say it best. This is John Gill 
It is that grace of joy, meaning that joy is a gift. It is that grace of joy which is implanted in the soul and rises from, hear these words, and increases by discoveries in our lives of the person, grace, righteousness, and sacrificial love of Jesus. Meaning, as we walk with Christ, as we know Him better, we will not only discover more and more dimensions of God Himself, we will discover more and more dimensions of the joy of the Lord. And Jesus said this, circumstances will never destroy the joy that I give you. There's not anything in your life that has happened or can happen that can destroy the joy in you. And to say anything else than that would be to contradict Jesus Christ in John 16, 20 and 22. You see, circumstances don't take away our joy. We give it away. We give it away. Here are the words of Jesus. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn when the world rejoices. And this was when he had said that he was going somewhere and they couldn't come, that he was going to go, but they would see him again. And there was all this discussion, where is he going? Some insecurity, you know, that's, that's coming into the hearts of the disciples here. He's talking about the cross. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Verse 22, now is the time of grief, but I will see you again. He's talking about the resurrection. I will see you again and you will rejoice. And hear these words, and no one will be able to take away your joy. Hear that. No one will be able to take away your joy. If we are experiencing a lack of joy as believers, it is not because circumstances or anybody in particular has wrested our joy away from us. It is because we have surrendered our joy willfully. We are, I coined a word, it's the title of the sermon, we are joy-given people. We live in the vine. But when we shift gears from living as joy-given people to being joy-getting people, and me going out to get my joy, that is when we surrender true joy. We understand this all over the Bible. There was a young man in the Old Testament He loved God. When it comes to rejoicing, so much of the material that we have in the Scriptures about rejoicing in the Lord and the wonder of God's goodness was written by him. He played the harp and he wrote psalms of praise and high joy to God. He was known as the man after God's own heart. His name was David. David was selected by God himself to be the king of Israel. And it was a good thing because David's true joy 
was in God. And he was secure, therefore, enough to, to, you know, to, to live in God and be impartial and, and not be trying to use the people under him to make his life, which is what bad government does. But one day, if you don't know the story, he saw a beautiful woman. If you don't know the story, we actually know her name, know all about her. I mean, don't you love how the Bible's uncensored? Her name was Bathsheba. And he saw this woman. She was not his wife. And he decided he wanted her anyway. And he literally had his soldiers go and by force bring her. And so he had an illicit relationship with this woman. And then he killed her husband. I mean, it's bad. And then a little more of a year of absolute hell broke loose in his life. If you want to read about that hell, all you got to do is turn to Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. When David says, but when I did not confess my sins, it was like, oh God, your hand was heavy upon me. It was like my strength was sapped like the heat of summer. For when I took my own joy into my own heart and, and, and moved, shifted gears from being a joy-given person to be a, a joy-getting person, it absolutely drained the life out of me. But then I confessed my sins, Selah, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And in Psalm 51, as David is absolutely broken for becoming a joy-getter, he said these words, and many of us know them, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. I know where the joy is. It's in knowing you. Restore unto me real joy, is what he is saying. Yeah. One author says, many are suffering the results of trying to survive a very self-centered life. Me too. Let me, let me start over with this. Many are suffering the results of trying to survive a very self-centered life. The feeling of joy is all important. And any quick way to get a feeling as briefly as it lasts has become a way of life in a consumer culture. The end result is that none of our basic needs as human beings are met at all because we have become attached to the feeling instead of the quality of life that results from the feeling out of a relationship with God. Let me ask you this question. In your life today, self-assessment. Remember I asked you, would you be considered a joyful person? Will you live as one who is joy-given, dwelling in that joy through relationship? Or will you shift gears just to be a joy-getter? Where are you today? Someone once commented on my life when I was a young believer that there was a particular song that was popular then. They said, you know, when I hear that song, it reminds me of you. Now, I don't know that it, re- it reminded me of me, 
But, but this was, a, this was a, 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 a comment that I found very significant. And um, this particular song was about joy. And what this person was saying is, is I see real joy in your life and I find it to be a contagious thing. The song was written by Keith Green and it was called Because of You. And I'd like to read a few lines from Because of You. People smile at me and they ask me what it is that makes them want to be just as I am. So I just point to you and I tell them, yes, it's true. I'm no special one. I'm just one man. It's because of you people smile at me and say, what a lucky guy. It's because of you I can raise my hand and reply and say, I am only happy because of you. And I do know this, that it wasn't about cheerfulness because when I was a turbo pagan, I was cheerful. That's kind of been my nature. But sometimes when I think about that, I have to be honest in my soul. And there are times in my life that I have to ask, where'd that guy go? You ever feel that way? Because I have allowed the circumstances to overwhelm me. Because I have traded birthright for cheap porridge. True joy is not a pursuit. It is a gift. See, I know the answer. And I've lived the answer. And any of you who've put your trust in Christ and have walked with Him, you've lived the answer too. You know one of the great characteristics of true joy is that it's very resilient that's easily restored all it takes is somebody who's willing to turn from being a joy getter to be a, being a joy given person and you can experience joy again and, and even grow in your capacity which is like I said is so attractive to me that we can grow and learn and there's more to understand, more to experience. With God, there's always more, not less. Have you ever noticed that? And one day, we'll be with God. Hear this, better than Eden, with true joy, undiluted forever and ever. I have told you these things that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Let's pray. Lord, would you be that person who grants joy this morning? If you've never put your trust in what Christ has done on the cross and you know you, in your heart you can't change yourself enough to be compatible with a holy God and you'd, you'd like to have joy. Just pray with me, Lord, I, I know I can't change myself enough by my own works. So I want to turn from that. I want to put my trust in what you've done for me on the cross. And when you said it's finished, I'm going to believe that it's finished. And Lord, thank you that even now 
You've come into my life. You've forgiven me of my sins. Even now, you've given me joy, a very pure joy. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me to understand and grow even in that joy. But, Father, there are many of us who have known you for a long time and we've, we've wandered through varied topography of our Christian experience. And there are some of us that would pray today, O oh Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Turn me from a maniacal joy hog getter to a joy-given person again. And teach me, Lord, more and more. Help me to experience that joy. And Lord, we pray that the result of, of that relationship restored and that relationship growing would be that others around us would sense that joy and want that joy through Jesus for themselves. And we pray through His holy name. Amen.